Our scripture reading is from Revelation chapter 5, the whole chapter. Hear the word of the Lord. And I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll written inside and on the back, sealed with seven seals. Then I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll, and to loose its seals. And no one in heaven, or on earth, or under the earth, was able to open the scroll, or to look at it. So I wept much, because no one was found worthy to open and read the scroll, or to look at it. But one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the scroll, and to loose its seven seals. And I looked, and behold, in the midst of the throne and of the four living creatures, and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb, as though it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. Then he came and took the scroll out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. When he had taken the scroll... The four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb, each having a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation, and have made us kings and priests to our God and we shall reign on the earth. Then I looked, and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne, and the living creatures, and the elders, and the number of them was ten thousand times ten thousand, and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power, and riches, and wisdom, and strength, and honor, and glory, and blessing. And every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth, and such as are in the sea, and all that are in them, I heard saying, Blessing and honor and glory and power be to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. Then the four living creatures said, Amen. And the twenty-four elders fell down and worshipped him who lives forever and ever. Let's look to the Lord again in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we come into your presence boldly only through Jesus Christ, our mediator and high priest. We acknowledge to you that in ourselves we're nothing but sinful, that we have nothing good to bring you, but we come boldly as you've invited us and you've made all the provision for us in Christ. We ask you that by the help of your Spirit that you would put this word into our hearts and minds. And cause us to be transformed by it to the edification of your people and the salvation of sinners. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. As we've read from this fifth chapter of the book of Revelation, you remember how this book was written to seven churches in Asia, how that our Lord Jesus Christ gave a personal word to those seven churches, and he gave this word also to the church of all ages. Years ago, 
my dad was able to visit one of the historic sites of one of these churches, the church at Ephesus, where it is believed that John pastored, the Apostle John who wrote the book of Revelation pastored. And there in the city of Ephesus, just to give you a taste of the anti-Christian hostility that they were facing during this time, there's an ancient monument there in that city. It's of a globe. It looks like planet Earth. And on it is a man's foot, and it's of Emperor Trajan. And the message is, I'm Lord of the world. That was the message of the Roman Empire. Caesar is Lord. That's what they promoted. That's what they taught. And so many Christians lost their lives because they would not say Caesar is Lord and put a pinch of incense on the fire. They would only acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord. And as a result, the Roman Empire is trying to stomp out the name of Christ and all His churches from off the face of the earth. That's why John is on the prison island of Patmos. He is banished for the testimony of Jesus Christ, he tells us in chapter 1. But there is he is isolated. He's away from his beloved congregation. He is most likely by this time the last apostle living. All the others have died martyrs' deaths as far as we know. But he says, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. And he heard a voice like a trumpet behind him. And we know how that our Lord Jesus appeared to him in resurrection glory and began to give him this revelation. And our Lord Jesus tells him in the first chapter, that this message is from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, the ruler over the kings of the earth. Jesus is giving the message to John and the churches. It may appear that Caesar is Lord. It may appear that He has power to persecute and to destroy you. And yes, He is persecuting you. But the message of the book of Revelation is Jesus Christ is Lord. He will destroy all of His and His church's enemies, and He will usher in the glory of the age to come, and this is not the end, and you must look forward to this hope of the return of Christ. This is the basic message of the book of Revelation. It's not so we can try to figure out the details of the end times. It's not so we can try to interpret every detail of every symbol in the book. But the, the message is very plain and simple, it is that Jesus Christ is Lord and His Gospel is effectual and He will bring about the consummation of all things and He will save His people at the last day. So after our Lord Jesus begins to give John this message for the seven churches, He specifically addresses those churches in chapters 2-3. to three. And then in chapter 4, John is called up into a heavenly vision of God's throne room. In heaven, he sees God sitting on the throne, thunderings and lightnings coming out of the throne, a rainbow around the throne, and those flying creatures and the elders about the throne worshiping and glorifying God day and night. Holy, holy, holy. It strikes awe and fear into your heart as you read it. And then in the fifth chapter that we've just read, it's like the camera zooms in on one aspect of that throne room. On the right hand of God in the throne and a scroll in God's right hand. And with this in mind, our theme today is worthy is the Lamb. Worthy is the Lamb. We'll see it in three basic thoughts. First, worthy is the Lamb in heaven's scroll. 
as the scene has focused in on the scroll in God's right hand, we remember that this is symbolic language. God doesn't have a hand. Scripture tells us very plainly, remember our Lord Jesus says to the woman at the well in John 4, God is spirit, and they that worship God must worship Him in spirit and truth. We know this is symbolic language. The right hand is the hand of authority. We know that John did not literally see God sitting on his throne. No man has seen God at any time. Neither can any man see. A man doesn't have the ability to see God. But we know this is language communicating to us. A throne is the seat of kings. And there are thrones, but this is the throne. And though it may appear that Caesar is sovereign, John is being reminded and reminding the churches God is still sovereign. God is on His throne. In His right hand, the hand of authority. He has this scroll. Now, this passage tells us about this scroll that it was an unchangeably settled scroll. When he saw the scroll, he said that it was written inside and on the back. Now, this was not common. They didn't do this during these ancient times, with scrolls, they would write on one side and then roll it up, and that's all. You never would write on the back. But on this scroll, it was written front and back. Nothing could be added to it. This scroll is invincibly sealed. It was sealed with seven seals. What they would do is they would roll up the scroll, and then they would put wax seals on it with the king's insignia they would stamp the scrolls sometimes with very important documents with five seals and nobody but the authorized person could open up those seals and open the scroll this scroll is completely sealed seven the number of completion in scripture no man can open it no man can look into it john hears this challenge in verse two he sees a strong angel he says proclaiming with a loud voice Who is worthy to open the scroll and to loose its seals? This mighty angel's voice thunders through heaven, down through the earth, throughout to the ends of the created universe, down under the earth, into hell itself. There's no creature in heaven or on earth or under the earth who is worthy to to open the scroll. This term worthy has to do with where is somebody who makes rank enough? It has to do with weights and balances. Who is somebody that has the great weight of worth required to step forth and open this scroll? The angel's challenge is met with nothing. No answer. Deafening silence. Nobody steps up. Nobody's worthy. Verse 3, And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look at it. So I wept much because no one was found worthy to open and read the scroll or to look at it. So what is this scroll that is such a big deal that the Apostle John breaks down and weeps because it can't be opened. If you study this term in our original language here for weeping, it's an intense weeping, and he goes on and on weeping. This word is used throughout the New Testament when somebody has been bereaved of a loved one. A loved one has died, and they're weeping uncontrollably. This is how John is weeping. 
because the scroll can't be opened. What is this scroll? Well, if we read the next chapter, and if we compare this to Old Testament passages, we know that this scroll is symbolic of the eternal decrees of God. And the opening of this scroll is the carrying out of God's decrees. Just like no man could read or look into this scroll, no man could add to it. It's written on the inside and on the outside. No man can break the seals and read it. No man can peer into the decree of God. We know that God has decreed all things for His own glory, but we cannot understand or look into God's decree. This is only for God to know. No man can add or take away from it. No man can bring it to pass or change God's purposes. I remind you, dear believer, that as we believe and confess God's decree, everything is sovereignly ordained of God. We know that Scripture plainly teaches this. Everything is in this scroll. All created reality is in this scroll. Your life, every day of your life, every moment of your life, every detail of your life, from your entire existence until now into eternity, is in this scroll and bound up in it. And to open this scroll is to carry out God's purposes, His promises to His people, and His judgments upon His enemies. Now do you see why John weeps if this scroll can't be opened? You know what it's like when you see a news report of some family who has had a loved one who was murdered and they finally serve justice to the murderer and they use this term, well, finally the family has some closure. At least there's some closure. Well, if God's decrees cannot be carried out, there is no closure for God's people. There is no purpose to John's suffering and these churches suffering persecution. It's all just a dismal abyss. Like Apostle Paul said, if there is no resurrection of all men most miserable. Christianity is absolutely absurd. There's no hope in it. There's no purpose in it. If this scroll cannot be opened, this is why John weeps. But then we read in verse 5, One of the elders said to me, Do not weep. Behold, the line of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the scroll and to loose its seven seals. Behold, look, John. John, look there. The lion of the tribe of Judah, David's son and David's Lord, he has conquered. He has prevailed to open the scroll. As John turns, one look at Jesus Christ and His glory turns this sorrow and weeping into joy and hope. Dear believer, today, I wonder what is it that makes you weep? What is it that keeps you up at night? What is it that if If God doesn't unfold His decrees, and if God doesn't bring about His promises, it leaves no hope for you. What is it that you struggle with knowing that God is sovereign? You know God's sovereign. You believe it. Scripture teaches it. We confess it. That the decrees of God are His eternal purpose. So we state in our catechism, according to the counsel of His will, whereby for His own glory He's foreordained whatsoever comes to pass. We know that. We believe it. We know like R.C. Sproul said, there's not one maverick molecule in the entire universe. 
But it's so hard to come to grips with that sometimes, isn't it? You think about how things have turned out. Maybe a tragedy. Maybe a great difficulty, a great disappointment. And you can't understand. You know that Scripture teaches and you believe it that God is sovereign in all things. God works all things together for your good and His glory. You know that. But you say, I cannot understand how this is for my good and for God's glory. I can't connect the dots. I can't peer into it. I can't understand this. Well, dear Christian, I remind you that sometimes as we struggle with the question why, as we try to look sometimes into God's decree, we can't read it. We can't open it up. It's not meant for us to. We must beware of the temptation to retort to God and to to demand that God show us the why. He may never show us. that. There was a song years ago that they sang in some churches. Uh, he'll tell me all about it in the by and by. Well, he may not. He may not explain. He doesn't owe us an explanation. But dear friend, the answer is in Jesus Christ and His Gospel. The answer is to look to Jesus Christ. Just as John turned and looked, and this is what made the difference. Jesus Christ gives hope. The destiny of this whole universe, your destiny, dear believer, is in the nail-pierced hand of this Lamb who was slain. And when you have Jesus Christ, you don't have to have the answers because Jesus Himself is the answer. And you can rest in God and you can hope in God. You can enjoy the communion of the Holy Spirit as you're united to the Father through the Son. Even if you never understand the why of, God, of why God allowed it to happen this way. Oh, what peace there is in this. This is the only peace. This is the only hope that there is. And I encourage you to look to Jesus Christ. He's worthy in the opening of heaven's scroll. He steps forward to open that scroll. And all of heaven breaks in to worship the 24 elders, symbolic most likely of the 12 tribes of Israel and the 12 apostles, the one church of our Lord Jesus, the one body of Christ, the one olive tree, representative of Old Covenant and New Covenant believers, all saved by faith, by the grace of God in Jesus Christ alone. These elders fall down and begin to worship. They begin to sing this song. So secondly, worthy is the Lamb. In heaven's song. This is verses 6 to 10. Now, when John turns to see this conquering lion of the tribe of Judah, he doesn't see a lion. Remember, the elder said, Look, the, the lion of the tribe of Judah has prevailed to open the book. John turns. But he says, I saw a lamb, literally a little lamb. And I remind you that our Lord Jesus Christ is lion-like against His enemies. He's lion-like in His power against His enemies to protect His people. But He's lamb-like to all those who come to Him and trust in Him by faith. This picture of Christ as a lion and Christ as a lamb, these are two very, very different analogies, but they both describe to us truth about our Lord. Years ago, my children and I and my wife went to the zoo. It's a large zoo. 
And there they had an African lion. It was right there behind glass. And you could stand there just feet away from it. And that massive lion standing there looking at you. And you know if that glass wasn't there, he would tear you apart in a matter of moments. It's enough to make a grown man shudder with fear. It's terrifying. Scripture calls him the king of beasts. You can read accounts in Africa, even up until modern times, where literally tens of thousands of people have been hunted down and eaten over the years by these man-killers. It's a ferocious animal. It strikes fear and terror into the bravest heart. Well, this is how our Lord Jesus is toward His enemies. And dear sinner, those of you who are still in your sins, you continue on and do not repent, do not trust in Him. He will meet you as lion to tear you to pieces. And you will not escape. You will not survive. But here John, as he turns and sees Christ as a lamb, this is a very different analogy. At another time, our children went to a petting zoo that we took them to at the county fair. And there they had a little bitty short fence, and they had little lambs in in that fence, and the kids could reach through and pet the lambs. That was a very different experience than seeing that lion. There's nothing about that lamb that's threatening, nothing to chase you off, nothing to destroy you, nothing to attack you, no sharp fangs, no, no sharp claws, no intimidation. It's the most inviting and innocent and meek creature. Dear friend, to all those of you who come to Christ trusting in Him as your Savior, He is the Lamb slain, as it were, before the foundation of the world. The Lamb who went silent as a, as a lamb goes to its shearers silent. He opened not His mouth there at the cross. He submitted Himself unto death. And He sees the one that says, I am meek and lowly. Come to Me and take My yoke upon you. Learn of Me. He's lamb-like in His meekness. And dear sinner, if you turn from your sin to Jesus Christ, He will never meet you as a lion, but only as a lamb. He is not standing to dissuade you or to threaten you away from coming. No, He invites you to come to Him as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world and who will take away your sins who trust in Him. So as this lion-like, lamb-like Savior steps forth to open the scroll, We see several things about him in this passage. He's a mighty lamb, mighty in power. He has seven horns. Seven is symbolic of completion. An animal uses its horns to fight and to push its opponents. He's perfect in power. He has the power to save all of God's elect. All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth, Jesus told his disciples. He's perfect in wisdom as he has seven eyes. And here, as John sees him standing there, the 24 elders fall down and break into song. Pay attention to the theme of this song. It's all about the Lamb. The song in heaven is all about the Lamb. There's nothing here about who we are and what we've done as far as our accomplishments. It's all about the Lamb and His accomplishments may have heard that song years ago of 
It's talking about um, when I stand before the throne, will I, will I fall on my face or will I dance, or et cetera, et cetera. Read this passage. I guarantee you, I know which one you'll do. You'll fall on your face. That's exactly what the elders do. They sing a new song, and here you can hear the theme of it. In verse 9, they sang a new song saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation and have made us kings and priests to our God and we shall reign on the earth. The theme in heaven, the theme of the worship is worthy is the Lamb. At the last day in glory, if you were to go through every square foot of heaven and interview every soul that's there, every person saved by grace, now resurrected and living forever, a glorified body like unto our Lord Jesus Christ, that vast number that no man can number, if you went one by one and interviewed them and asked them, why are you here? There'd be one answer. You know how it is when you go to a family reunion and somebody's got married or somebody has somebody with them and you're wondering, how, why are you here? What's your relation? You know what it's like to go to a work meeting and you're all talking, which department are you from? Why are you here? You're finding out what's the relation. What's your reason for being here? If we were to do that in glory, what's your reason for being here? How did you get here? What's your story? What right do you have to be there? We could ask everybody there. And the answer would all be the same. Every finger would point there to Jesus Christ. It's the Lamb. Worthy is the Lamb. He's the reason I'm here. It was in Him, in Christ, that the Father chose me before the foundation of the world. It was by His Spirit sent down at Pentecost that the message about Him was preached to me. And I was reconciled to God through Him. And I was saved. It's all because of Him. There's nothing that I have done You were slain, they're singing. You were slaughtered with a violent, bloody death in the place of guilty sinners. You have redeemed us to God. The reason they're here singing, the reason there will be a vast, innumerable host, a number no man can number, who will worship and enjoy God forever in glory, the reason is because He redeemed them to God. He was victorious in it. He didn't try to save them. Some of us grew up hearing that he's tried, he tries to save, Jesus tries to save sinners. He's tried his best. He's done his best. The rest is up to you. No, he doesn't try to save anybody. He just rears back and saves them. The salvation of all God's elect is a done deal. John's writing about it before it ever even is finished. Why? Because God has decreed it and Jesus Christ has purchased it and the Spirit is making it effectual. And John can rejoice in it and show us a picture of it before it's even finished. He redeemed us to God. He bought us back off the slave market of sin. This is speaking of Christ's work at the cross. In that great exchange... You have redeemed us to God. There was an exchange that took place. It was us for Him. There as we join this song in glory, we'll all know that 
We have life because He tasted death for us there at the cross. We have His righteousness because He became sin for us at the cross. We receive God's blessing because He received all the curses at the cross. We're here in heaven in glory because He went there to the cross. And as the hymn writer put it, in my place condemned He stood, sealed my pardon with His blood. Hallelujah, what a Savior. It's the great exchange. And we can't help but read this, this lamb language and this exchange language without thinking about the old covenant Passover that pictured what Jesus did for us at the cross. As there in the land of Egypt, God had warned at midnight, I will visit death upon the firstborn in every household. But if I see the blood, I will pass over you. If you'll sacrifice a chosen lamb and put the blood upon the door and the doorpost of your house, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And imagine all of those Jewish families slaughtering the lamb. They've put the blood on the door. They've gone inside. God commanded them to cook the meat of that lamb and to eat it for supper. And there they sit. Imagine that firstborn son in the home. As the screams of death go up in the night and... God visits death upon every firstborn that does not have the blood of the Lamb applied. Imagine the fear and the terror that that firstborn might break out into a cold sweat. His heart's probably pounding. He's probably short of breath, wondering, is that going to be me next? Is God's promise going to hold? Midnight comes and goes, and the boy is safe. He's alive. He's been eating the meat of that lamb cooked with bitter herbs, roasted in fire, and the taste of the lamb is still in his mouth. And it dawns on him, the only reason I'm alive right now is because of this lamb that died in my place. He died so I don't have to die. Oh dear friend, for eternity, after that great judgment where the sheep are separated from the goats and The wicked are cast into everlasting fire and we hear the weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. We hear the screams of the damned as they receive their sentence and they're hurled into eternal darkness. And we know that's what we deserve. We ought to be going there because of our sins. We have no worthiness to enter into glory. We know and we're conscious and the the taste is in our mouth as we enter into glory, to eternal joy. The only reason that's not us crying out on the judgment of God right now is because of that Lamb, Jesus Christ, who died for us. And that taste will never go out of our mouths. We'll be conscious of that forever. Worthy is the Lamb. This is the only reason we're here in glory, they're saying. This is the theme of the song. Here he tells us further in chapter 5, as they're singing, you've redeemed a people to God out of every tribe, every nation, every language of people. It's been a joy in the Lord's providence to be able to experience a, a small glimpse of this in different parts of the world. We experience it every time we, we meet for public worship as a particular church of Christ. We experience a little foretaste of heaven, what it's going to be like Worshiping God forever. Think about even those of us who are in this room, we probably would have never known or, or even met each other. Many of us come from different cultures. 
We come from different ideas about so many things in life, but we're here because of our union in Christ. And that's the dominant theme of what we're about. It's been such a joy to see in Kenya, Africa, where they have 43 different tribes, and some of those tribes hate each other. They war and they exterminate and commit genocide against one another. And yet to see people converted and that they're in the same church together, even hostile tribes, and they'll tell you, we used to hate each other in the past, but now our main tribal identity is in Jesus Christ, the tribe of Jesus. Seen the same thing with tribes in the Philippines. Among the Native American tribes, you, you, uh, if you spend much time with the tribes of North America, there are 500 different sovereign Indian nations in North America and First Peoples nations. And some of them hate each other worse than they hate the European invaders. Long-lasting hostility even to this day. And yet what a joy to see them singing together in their own tribal languages and sharing those different songs together where God worked upon them by the Gospel. And they're united in Christ. They put aside those differences and their voices unite to praise the Lord for their salvation. But the most bizarre example of this I've ever seen was in Paris, France. It was a storefront building about the same size as this where we're meeting right now. And there it was packed out that day for baptism service. The man being baptized, Abdenur, was an ex-Muslim who had been converted. He was from North Africa. And they had that big tank right there in the middle of the floor, baptism tank. The pastor baptizing him was there from France. Pastor Emmanuel, he'd been an atheist before he was converted to Christ. In that congregation, there are people from all over the world, Africa and Asia and America and different parts of Europe. And there that day was a Jewish believer, Jean-Luc. And also there was a ex-neo-Nazi skinhead from Poland he uh, named Mirek. He had just been converted a few months before. And he found the church there and he'd come to the service and he had asked before he came, I would like to meet some Jewish believers because in the past I hated all Jews and everyone who's not white, but now I love them in Christ and I want to I meet them personally. So after that baptism where that ex-atheist baptized that ex-Muslim, in the triune name. And all of God's people there from different nationalities were worshiping together. After that, they gave opportunity for Merrick and he addressed the people briefly, the ex-neo-Nazi skinhead. He had shown me, he pulled up his sleeve, his shirt sleeve. He had a Hitler swastika tattoo on his arm where he had lived that way all those years. And he addressed the people and he said, I wanted to tell you I'm sorry because in the past I hated you, all of you that aren't white, but now I love you in Christ. And there was such joy. And he, after the service, he and that Jewish brother embraced one another and wept on each other's shoulders and rejoiced. And as I looked around at that scene, I was thinking, where in the world could you see something this bizarre except by the power of the Gospel of Christ? What a joyful day. What a unique day. What an amazing experience that was to see 
what is just a tiny foretaste of what we're going to experience for eternity together when we gather on that great day where people from all different tribes and languages, no corner of the earth will be left out. And they strike up that song and we all join to sing of the worthiness of the Lamb. World kingdoms like the Roman Empire, like the U.S. government, like the Canadian government, like the Chinese government, world powers rise and they threaten to stomp out Christ and His churches, but they never will. It's a done deal before it's even finished. He tells us here as they sing in verse 10 that the Lamb has made them a kingdom and priest to our God and they shall reign on the earth. So in heaven's song, just like in heaven's scroll, the Lamb is worthy. Third and lastly in verses 11-14, to worthy is the Lamb in heaven's shout. The angels join in and they They shout out praises to the Lamb. Verse 11, Then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. Angels cannot sing the song of the redeemed, for blood was never shed for them. But they'll not miss their chance to give glory to the Lamb for His redeeming work for God's elect. And as they do, the the shout of worthiness to the Lamb echoes again throughout heaven and throughout the earth and down under the earth. And all creation joins in this praise. Every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that are in them, I heard saying, Blessing and honor and glory and power be to Him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. Every creature from the tadpole to the whale. The waves of the sea roar for His glory. The trees wave their hands for His glory. Stars flicker and shine for His glory. And because of Christ's cross work, it's not just the elect of God who will benefit by being saved, but in another way, the entire created order will benefit by being redeemed from the curse that our father Adam brought upon it. Even from the belly of hell, as this shout goes down under the earth, there ascends the groans of those condemned souls under the wrath of God, even they join from the belly of hell and ascribe worthiness to the Lamb. And dear friend, you may live in rebellion now. You may live in sin now and you think, I don't have to glorify the Lamb. I'll live for my own glory. I'll do my own thing. No, you will glorify the Lamb. Whether it's in joyful praise in eternity forever or whether it's with your knees broke, bowing, in the belly of hell, groaning out praise to the Lamb, you will praise Him either way. And the invitation is today, the command is today, come to Him now. Become a worshiper of God in Christ now. 
and join in this joyful song with God's people because if you don't, at the end, every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess. You will bow. You'll confess. The invitation, God's command to you is to bow today. To come and be reconciled to God through Christ today. This shout that was begun by the angels echoes through the whole created universe and it returns to the throne. The throne room that we beheld. The four living creatures say, Amen. And the 24 elders fell down and worshipped Him who lives forever and ever. Now dear people of God, based on all of this we've seen in Revelation 5, I encourage you to keep the glory of the Lamb front and center in everything. This is why we exist. This is why we were created. It is to be worshipers of the Father through the Son and by the Spirit, to know our triune God and to enjoy Him forever. This is everything. This should dominate our entire lives. As we meet in a special way to do this corporately, to worship God as His temple every Lord's Day. May we go out of the overflow of this and may our whole life be dominated by this theme, worthy is the Lamb. May the way we work at work reflect that the Lamb is worthy. The way we treat our families, the way we interact with one another, the way we live in this world. May it always say, worthy is the Lamb, and cause others to give glory to Him. Dear Christian, this reminds us to repent of where we failed to keep the glory of the Lamb front and center. It's so easy in the Christian life as as we're surrounded by discouragement. We have inward discouragement with our own remaining sinfulness and we can become discouraged and be like the muckraker in Pilgrim's Progress 2 where Christiana sees a a man there with a muck rake in his hand and he's raking trash on the floor and he's always looking down and raking and raking and looking at the trash that he's raking. Just above his head, there's a celestial being holding a crown for him to receive. But he never looks up. He's always looking down, raking the ground. We can become so absorbed in the daily grind of life, the tedious things and the things we have to do and we must do but we can become so focused and so absorbed with daily life that we forget to look up and remember this glorious Lamb who is ours. You're united to Him by faith, dear believer. Right now, you're in union with this Lion Lamb, with this Christ. He is yours. His Spirit lives in you to help you put sin to death every day and to overcome sin, to overcome this world. You can't be any more united to Him than you are now. You cannot have any more perfect standing in Him than you are now. Even now, you're seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, Paul says. Oh, dear saint, remember this every day. And while you work, and while you journey through this world, often look up. Look up and behold the glory of the Lamb. And prepare for this soon coming day Because it's just ahead of you. Dear sinner who's here today, this invitation, this command, this good news of the Gospel, 
is come to Jesus Christ now, receive Him as your Lamb. Receive and behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. May He become your Savior this day. And may you join in this song forever and ever to the glory of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit now and ever and unto the ages of ages. Amen. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank You for the great hope that You've laid up for us in Christ. We thank You for the great work that You've accomplished on our behalf. We don't deserve any of it. And Your grace to us in Christ is so great we cannot comprehend it, we cannot properly speak about it or praise You for it, but we pray that You would help us as Your people to have some greater grasp of Your love for us in Christ, of Christ's work for us, the work of Your Spirit in us. And may we see this reflected in our lives every day as we die into sin and live unto righteousness. And we pray for the conversion of those who are yet without Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.